2: It's, it's interesting because when we think about, you know, suffering and what that really means and what it looks like in our life, I think it, it's really tough because everybody's suffering mm-hmm. is theirs. Mm-hmm. It's unique to them and their story. There is no you know, two stories that are exactly the same. Therefore, nobody can really understand the exact pain of another person in the way that they're experiencing it, mm. uh, because it's a culmination of so many things in our lives that are leading up to these difficult journeys that we're going through. But to me, what I learned in the infertility journey that was unique to any other situation that I've been through was... Was about sort of, for a lack of a better term, the art of suffering and what it means, you know, to really find
1: meaning in that pain. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Welcome to She. Hey, I'm so so happy to be here. Oh, well, I am so happy to have you here. You guys, Angela and I already had like a 15-minute conversation before we started recording and it was so rich and I was like, we've got to hit record. This is so good. So, buckle up. This is going to be a really good and just encouraging episode in so many different ways. But before we dive into some questions that I have, Angela, I would love for you to share a little bit of your journey. Maybe just maybe the spark notes version, but I know you're a mother of 8 and the journey to get there definitely took a lot of different twists and turns along the way. So, if you can share uh, a little bit of what that story looked like and how you got to where you are today. That would be an awesome place to start. Yeah,
2: you know, it's always so funny because whenever I begin to share my story, I kind of take a step back because I feel like in some ways... It sounds like I'm reading off of a roll call when I'm like, we had this child and then we adopted this child and then we did this and this Mm. child. And it feels like I'm just kind of like going down the list. And I always feel like in some ways it just, it's such an injustice to the beautiful stories that God has written for each of my children Mm. and for how they've joined our family. So I'm always hesitant to like list them off. But uh, with that said... I would just say like we started as sort of this very traditional boy meets girl kind of thing. We met when we were 13 years old, my husband and I, and, you know, we ended up getting married right around college time. And then we had two girls and everything was sort of what life is supposed to be. Mm. You know, I'm using my little air quotes here, what life is supposed to be. And I still felt this sense that something was missing. Something wasn't, life didn't quite have all of the meaning and purpose that I personally felt I was looking for mm-hmm. and that really, I really struggled through that time because I felt like, am I being ungrateful? Like, is this a slap in the face to God for all that he's given me, all these blessings, mm-hmm. everything He's provided me and I'm still unhappy. Like, what is wrong with you? You know, mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, really struggled in that time, but God being the gentle, loving father that he is guided me through that time and helped me to, to sort of see that, yeah, there is a lot out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot out there that I have for you. Mm-hmm. Like, just come with me, take one step at a time, and I'm going to I'm gonna show it all to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I took that initial first step into adoption because, you know, through a various series of events, that's where I felt like God was leading our family. And so, you know, we stepped into that first adoption. And since then, I mean, it's kind of been, very much one after the other. I mean, mm-hmm. basically in eight years, we went from two kids to eight kids. Wait, in how in, many years? In eight years, wow. we went from two kids wow. to eight kids. Wow. So it, you know, and now granted, there's a set of twins in there. So, mm-hmm. but it's still, I mean, that's a, that's a lot. It's yeah. fast and it's a lot. You know, we've adopted from Africa and China. We've done special needs adoption, domestic adoption, mm-hmm. struggled with secondary infertility, and then mm-hmm. ended up going into an embryo
1: adoption situation. So- wow. God has really taken us on quite a journey. Yeah, it sounds like it. Wow. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like your experience is so beautiful in so many ways because it's so many of the different ways, like it brings together all the different ways a family can be built in so many ways, whether that's embryo adoption or domestic adoption or special needs or biological or like all of the above. And I just think it is so fascinating because I think sometimes our culture, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but sometimes I think as we like grow up, right. And we have this like, oh, well, what happens is like you get married and then you like two years later, you have a baby. And it's just like this very clear, straightforward path. And sometimes there's like all these, it's not always linear and there's all these different ways that a family can be built. And I just think it's beautiful that that's so layered into your story because I think growing up myself, like I just had this expectation of this is the one way that you have a family, right? And the older I've gotten and the more I've been exposed to the more I'm like, wow, there's some really beautiful ways God brings a family together, you know?
2: Oh, definitely. And I feel like, you know, what you're referring to is what I call the checklist life. It's, you know, sort of this ingrained from us at a young age, especially if you grow up as a Christian or re- really mm-hmm. religious in any facet, you kind of just grow up hearing this. And it gets ingrained in you of these like boxes that need to be checked. Mm -hmm. And so when your life either checks all those boxes and you still lack fulfillment, that feels like a major letdown. And honestly, I think it causes a lot of crisis and faith for people. But Mm -hmm. also, if your life deviates from that checklist, then you Mm -hmm. feel like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah, Where did I go
2: wrong? And it's like, well, wait a second, wait a second. Maybe, (laughs) maybe Mm -hmm. we can recognize that, you know, there's more than one path to -hmm. get to the finish line Mm -hmm. and you know I definitely feel like if growing your family was a bingo card I kind of I think I won (laughs) but and it's funny because I just I look back on it and like there was no intentionality behind that on my part I wasn't Mm -hmm. like okay well we did this kind of adoption let's try this Mm -hmm. like there wasn't you know this path set out where I was like well I've got to try it all Mm -hmm. it's just the story that
1: God wrote for us Mm -hmm. you know yeah, that's so good. It's funny because, yeah, I mean, you're right. A lot of the things that we experience or the ways God moves in our lives, we don't always plan or anticipate or think is going to be part of our story, you know, and then it just all like comes together like this really beautiful puzzle. But I would be curious how would you have reacted if someone told you like 15 or 20 years ago what your journey was going to look like? Like, I think sometimes we just want God to tell us the answer and show us what's going to happen and when. But sometimes I think that if we knew it was coming, we wouldn't be able to handle it or we wouldn't feel prepared for it. Like, I'd just be curious what blessings can be found in taking life really step by step? And how would you have reacted if you'd have known all of this 15 or 20 years ago? Oh,
2: I mean, honestly, that makes me take like a big deep breath and just Mm -hmm. kind of go, I think I would have stood there in shock, disbelief, maybe run away screaming with my hair (laughs) on fire. Like there's absolutely no way you've got to be kidding me. Or if you just plot me in my life today. From 15 years ago, I would have been like, I'm out of here because it's like, you know, building blocks, if you will. Or, you know, I had a friend once tell me that it was like uh, a backpack that, you know, when your kid goes off to kindergarten, you give them this tiny little backpack and it holds just a couple of things. And as they go through their educational journey, uh, the backpack gets bigger and it holds Mm -hmm. a little bit more. And by the time you get to college, you know, you need a neck brace to carry this backpack that's so heavy and full Mm -hmm. of all these books. And it's kind of like, this is how God gives us little bits and pieces of his story for us. If he just gave it all to us right at the beginning, it was like, here's everything that's going to happen. I think mm-hmm. we would all just be like, "Uh, yeah, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out of here. Because yeah. the reality is, is that, You know, we all strive for these different goals in life, but the living, the magic, the goodness is in the Mm in-between of those goals. So I can look at each of my children, the day that I brought them each home, as like these very, you know, incredible, pivotal days in my life. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is that all of the character building, all of, you know, the refining of my heart and who Mm -hmm. I am, all of the testing of my faith... All of that was built on the days in between. And so I can't, you know, we have to learn to, to not, you know, try to jump from thing to thing or, or to get too ahead of ourselves yeah. because we need the strength to carry the backpack when it gets heavier. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say, like, if you put me from 15 years ago into my life today, I don't think I would be able to handle it. So when moms say to me, I don't know how you handle eight kids. Like, how do you homeschool and have eight mm-hmm. kids and run a business? because I didn't wake up one day and start Mm -hmm. doing all those things. I slowly added to those things. And I think it just, again, goes to show what a good and loving father God is that he doesn't expect us to just wake up one day and be able to handle it all. Um, You know, he gives us that little bit of clarity, you know, with each thing that we go through and it, it really strengthens our ability to trust him with the next thing mm-hmm. when we see his faithfulness in that first thing.
1: So good. So good. And such a good reminder because I think, again, like I said, we just want to know the whole path. Like, you know, sometimes when we're in a season of unknown or in between or waiting or uncertainty, there's truly this like desire to be like, if God just told me that this was going to work out or like just showed me where he's mm-hmm. taking all of this and what the heck he's doing with it, I'd be fine in the waiting. Right. But it's like, just like you said, if you'd gotten a preview, you'd be like, wait, what? You know? So it's so true. The one step at a time and like letting those skills and abilities and character and all that build in the process makes, makes it possible. Like it is what makes it possible to really walk in the fullness of the calling that God has for our life. So I just, I love how you said that. Okay. I want to pivot briefly because I know I want to talk about different parts of your story. If you don't mind, I would love to talk about your experiences with adoption a little bit, just in terms of what initially led you to pursue it. Is that something that you'd always thought about? And honestly, before your first adoption, did you have any concerns or fears or did you just know like with full certainty and confidence, like this is what we need to do and it's going to be great?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, initially I would say it's a very long story. So to give you sort of the, uh, as you said earlier, spark notes, I'm old. So I say cliff notes version of the story (laughs) is that, you know, I had seen a documentary when I was a teenager about adoption and about really specifically families who were adopting little girls from China and Mm -hmm. sort of what was happening there with the one child rule. Mm -hmm. And it just broke my heart even as a teenager. And I thought, you know, and my, all my wisdom at at 16, I was like, "Ah, I'm going to adopt someday. That's what I'm going to do. And it was just, you know, as I kind of refer to it, it as like this little seed that God planted in my heart of saying like, you're going to this, let's just let this sit mm-hmm. over here and ferment. <laughs> and we're going to see what's going to come of that later. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, when my husband and I were dating and as we talked about marriage, I brought up the idea of adoption to him and he was open to it. You know, wasn't like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. And he was like, okay, yeah, we we can talk about mm-hmm. that. And he's an only child. So he had no mm-hmm. frame of reference. Poor guy. Now he's got eight kids. So <laughs> wow.
1: That's quite him.
2: the, uh, yeah, quite the difference. <laughs> Yeah, so it was kind of in that, that period after we'd gotten married, we'd finally be able to buy our first house, we had our two children... And mind you, I'd had incredibly difficult pregnancies with them. I had something called hyperemesis, which mm-hmm. Princess Kate has made famous, though I had it before she did. <laughs> but, okay. it, you know, I was very, very sick and my pregnancies were really, really difficult. And so mm-hmm. I had felt at the time like, OK, this is God closing the door on that and opening the door, maybe, you know, for adoption. I just didn't really know. But, you know, God used a few different events to kind of bring it to the forefront of my mind and to help me see that this was the next step. This was, as I refer to it, the next open door that he was putting in front of me and asking me to walk through without having really any idea what's on the other side, how's this going to end up, what's going to happen. But we made that, you know, step of faith in into adopting and through another winding series of events, ended up adopting from Africa, from the Congo specifically. And um, that whole journey was incredibly faith-stretching for me. And just so much I could say about that. But it really, I would say in terms of like, you know, concerns or fears before we started. I mean, if I'm just being really honest, Mm. I kind of had like the lifetime movie Mm. perception of adoption, right? Mm. I was initially, I was like, I said, absolutely not to domestic adoption. Mm. I just completely took that off the table, you know, because I had had this kind of lifetime movie picture of domestic adoption where I thought like, oh, the the birth mom's going to come and steal the baby back in the Mm. middle of the night, you know? ridiculous, but at the time it was the only ideas that I had. I didn't, I didn't have any other picture of it, but other than this kind of movie perception of mm. it. And so that kind of closed the door on domestic and we ended up going with the international. And I really, again, felt very led there, but I had honestly no idea what mm. I was, I don't want to say getting into, but mm. like what doors I was opening, what what things were going to change in my life and in my heart and my Mm -hmm. perception of, of everything Mm -hmm. was going to change, you know, through these various adoption experiences. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's kind of like when people ask, Oh, you know, how do you know when you're ready to have kids? It's, Mm -hmm. it's much answered the same, like you're never really ready and you're never really ready for all that comes with adoption. Mm -hmm. I will say that I do think that finding a great Agency and social workers and people can help walk you through. I definitely mm-hmm. would not go in blind. And, and we did not, you know, we had a really great social worker who through various classes on trauma and bonding and attachment and all of these things that proved to be, uh, you know, just vital to mm-hmm. You know, surviving the adoption journey, not just for us, but in understanding, you know, our children and their responses, their reactions, uh, you know, why they were tantruming, Mm -hmm. you know, at this time or whatever it was, there's a lot that is very different than Traditional parenting. So, you know, research is your friend in terms of adoption. And that was one thing that while I went in very naive, I feel like it was the phrase baptism through fire. Like it was just, it was, you know, once you were in it, you're in it, you know, Mm -hmm. and you learn fast. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's how it is kind of with parenting anyway, regardless, right? But it's, I mean, of course, it's a whole new worlds in its own way but it's like you don't really get to avoid that it's just there's such a learning curve and the more that you can be prepared right I mean it sounds like yeah for sure I do
2: I feel like to me at least and this is just my own personal experience but to me you know the the maternal instincts that God has given us Mm -hmm. they are they're so helpful when you birth a baby you know there's so many various things that like your body hormonally things happen mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, you, you kind of, at least for me anyways, those, those instincts kick in, you kind of know what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, adoption is so counter to those mm-hmm. instincts because mm-hmm. you're removing the child from, you know, potentially either a birth mother or whoever's caring for them for this period of time. It's very traumatic. So they're as though they've been kidnapped Mm. this is the feeling that their little heart and their little brain Mm. has especially depending on their age and they just don't understand what's happening Mm. and so they may be rejecting you and and those are things that you're not going to be used to having birthed a baby and then Mm. you know held that baby and done all the skin to skin from birth and that baby has a good healthy attachment Mm. bond with you Mm. and you've got to build that and Mm. you're not just building it from scratch you're building it from like whatever comes before scratch
1: Mm, yeah wow and that definitely creates i was going to ask you like this kind of leads into the next question i was going to say what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've experienced through your adoption experience and process well, I would say, you know, patience is not my virtue. Mm, same. <laughs> so
2: <laughs> I'm a go-getter. Mm-hmm. Like if I want something, I figure out how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I'm a you know, all of those those kind of things like work hard and yeah. you know, I'm that was how I was raised and gone through life and it's in so many areas of life, mm-hmm. not at all compa- compatible with adoption <laughs> and ethical adoption. So things that are completely out of my control are a huge challenge for me. Uh, learning patience in these you know various situations and understanding that it's, you know, <sighs> I, you know, I want to choose my words gently because mm. I know that if a mom is listening to this or if a woman is listening to this and, you know, in the waiting during an adoption process, I, I don't want it to sound like, you know, I'm being harsh by any mm. means, but the reality is, is that specifically with adoption, you know, there's this sort of triad of people involved in this mm. and you're receiving this great blessing and joy and they're losing mm. everything in that moment. Mm. So it feels when you really put it into perspective, it feels really selfish to be impatient with it, because then it feels like you're wishing for someone to have the worst day of their life
1: mm-hmm.
2: and for me that was that was something that you know I very quickly was able to grab onto and mm-hmm. try to hold on to that of like listen i'm I'm wanting to show up and be available for a child that needs you know, a home. I don't want to wish those children into existence. I don't want to wish that there was a child who needed a home. But knowing that there's so many out there, it's kind of this balance that you can, you can feel this impatience of knowing that there are children out there right now who don't have a mom to kiss them and tell them that they love them and don't have anybody to, you know, just to scoop them up when they fall down and scrape their knee and all of the things that, you know, are are so comforting in life that they're just completely missing out on right now. Mm -hmm. And to want to fill that void for them is completely uh, a natural instinct. Mm -hmm. I think there's a quote actually, and I'm can't remember. I think the guy's name is Robert's, Oh, I can't remember his last name off the top of my head mm-hmm. but it's a, he said that there's an instinct in a woman to love most her own child and an instinct to make any child who needs her love her own wow and i think it's so beautiful and so true that you know we get to this mama bear mode but mm-hmm. then we see a cub alone that needs a mama bear and we're happy to scoop them right mm-hmm. on up along with the rest of our cubs mm. and so you know for me the challenge was you know, keeping that perspective of what the full triad of the situation is and then really navigating the ethics of adoption. I mean, that's been sort of my Mm -hmm. um, horn to toot (laughs) since I, you know, since our family's been completed. And, you know, as we've walked through all these various journeys, I've been able to see the good and the bad Mm -hmm. and everything in between and, um, you know, ethics and adoptions and within agencies and various things, like it all just needs work. But it's kind of one of those things that like we've got to be aware of in order to uh, do anything about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to if that's a journey that they are considering or part of, or, you know, even anything that's unknown and big and scary and has, you know, that is outside of what did you call the checklist life, right? That's like, It can really come with a lot of fear or concern or releasing control on the things that we know and that are familiar. And I think a lot of good can come out of that, but it's also really hard. And so I'm really appreciative of your honesty and just transparency with that. One other thing I wanted to ask about too is I know in your book, you talk about some of your assumptions about, or that some of your assumptions about God were challenged when you went to the Congo to adopt your son. I'd be curious if you could share, how did that experience challenge the idea that God's favor equals safety and a risk-free life?
2: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, I have kind of said that I feel like my life has been split into two spheres, basically, before Mm -hmm. my trip to Africa and after, because, you know, growing up in the United States Mm -hmm. as lower middle class, I suppose, Mm -hmm. growing up, my family struggled at times, and then we did better later. But, you know, going to Africa, going to the Congo, seeing some of the real tragedy of just the entire situation that's happening there mm-hmm. up close and personal was heart-wrenching. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we see these commercials on TV with Sarah McLaughlin singing these songs mm-hmm. and these kids with bloated bellies and eating bread and it's all very moving. But mm-hmm. then it's like, we turn off the TV and we carry on with our lives. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was this situation where I went there and I went, okay, my goodness, I feel like media and movies and TV, they don't do justice to Hmm. just the incredible beauty of these people. And, you know, all of the rich culture here. And, you know, I just, I felt like we were missing the mark in two ways, you know, not just, you know, Africa and Congo is not just, you know, children on the side of the road begging with bloated bellies, but it's Mm. also so much beauty and richness and culture Mm. uh, that we just don't even appreciate. But then the other side of that coin is the extreme poverty. Mm. And basically what that looks like played out right in front of my eyes Mm. was, I mean, shocking, Mm. just shocking is the only word and, and numbing. You know, I came home from that trip and I felt like, I didn't even know how to talk to people in my everyday life anymore because I felt like seeing things I can't unsee. And, you know, mm. I tell some of the stories in my book, but it's like I, I couldn't take a shower and close my eyes without seeing mm. these people's faces and these children's faces. And it was haunting me. Mm. And I really began to question, you know, God's goodness mm. and, and you know, how do I reconcile this life that we're living here with so much Mm -hmm. abundance and blessings and the life that these people are living and Mm -hmm. how do I bridge that gap and you know kind of this is paradox you know that Mm -hmm. you kind of have to figure out how to hold and for me it was it was such a challenge to my faith because I felt like you know I kind of like ignored God when I got home I was Mm -hmm. like I can't talk to you right now I'm mad at you and again like I just you know Father is so, so good that he just waits for us Mm -hmm. to be ready to talk to him again. And, you know, he he did. He waited for me and took me a few months and a couple of meltdowns before (laughs) I finally had my come to Jesus moment in my car outside of a Hobby Lobby. All it's always the most random and, places
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know that's how he works yeah. but you know having this kind of meltdown and coming to him and, and just being like I you know angry and like mm-hmm. I, I need to pray through this I need to cry through this I need to bring mm-hmm. this to you and put this at your feet and say I don't know mm-hmm. I didn't walk away from that you know car conversation feeling like I had all of the answers mm-hmm. but I did walk away with a sense of a little bit deeper understanding and understanding that it is a paradox. It is uh, an everyday struggle, uh, but that instead of me looking at all of the world's problems and feeling completely defeated and just overwhelmed, that for me it was about saying, okay, what can I do today in this moment? Mm-hmm. I can't fix the whole world, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be trying mm-hmm. to make changes and, and make you know ripple effects of good things in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you ever wanted to live a little bit more of a natural and holistic lifestyle for the sake of your well being and your family's well being, as well as to be a little bit more self sustaining, but just felt really confused on where to start, especially if you can't just like up and move to a farm tomorrow? Look, when I first started my holistic wellness journey, I remember I felt so overwhelmed. There's so much information all over the internet nowadays, and it's so hard to discern and to know which brands are truly clean and how do I source food locally and where do I even begin with all this stuff, especially if I have a busy life and I live maybe in an apartment or a suburban life, or I just don't have like goats in my backyard to go milk, you know, like how how do I do this? And um, it can be really overwhelming. So what I did is I wanted to take the guesswork out of it for you, because I think one of the biggest things that holds so many of us back is not only the financial side of it and the worry that it's going to be more expensive, but also the time. Most of us don't have months or years to invest in researching and reading labels and figuring out how to do that and doing all this research on our own. So we just don't and we kind of get stuck. So what I wanted to do is create a quick start guide for you. And it's called the Lifestyle Overhaul Guide. It is a step-by-step quick start guide to living a more natural and sustainable life. And it is laid out in a step-by-step format. It covers everything from budgeting for these changes to really reducing stress and creating a more sustainable schedule and lifestyle in terms of your time, to cleaning up the products in your home and reducing your toxin burden, how to really start with that and what to prioritize and how to do that in a budget-friendly way, to sourcing more food locally shortening your supply chain, being less reliant on the grocery store and big food systems, and starting to really use the resources in your local community. I'm giving you all the best resources on how to find those things, how to source those things and how to get started right where you are. So if that sounds like something you need, you can tap the link in the show notes on this episode, or just go to jordanleedooley.com slash lifestyle overhaul to check out all the details and grab yourself a copy. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she.
2: The reality is is that, you know, I could have been born anywhere. My kids could have been born anywhere. And if that was my child on the side of the road in the Congo begging for food, wouldn't I want somebody to help them? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just kind of how I have to go through my life every single day is knowing that it could have been me holding a dying child in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It could have been, uh, you know, me or my children begging for food on the street. But mm-hmm. to see us all and, and all people, you know, in this loving your neighbor, you know, as yourself yourself want someone to do what does yourself Mm -hmm. want to happen yeah and we can't hide from the hurt and the pain in the world but we can use it we can allow that to like move through us and then move us to action like not just sit and fester in us but allow that to move us to
1: action yeah that's so good wow so powerful i i mean yeah it does really shift your perspective to think on that and It's true. It could be any one of us, you know, and we sometimes just get so used to our our life and we kind of, it's like, we might be aware that things are happening, but not when you, when you come like face to face with brokenness, right. And, or with pain or with need on a level that you're not used to or accustomed to or comfortable with. It really does. It's jarring. I mean, I think that's kind of how it sounds when you were explaining it. It's like, it's jarring and it totally disrupts your whole view of like God and the world and like everything and your place in it all. And I think in many ways that's really good and refining, but it, it reminds me of that song and I can't remember who it's by, but I just remember one time where it's like, I was listening to it on the radio after my own experience that kind of made me go, God, how can you allow this kind of stuff? And, um, I think the line or the lyric is something like, you know, I looked up to God and said, why don't God, why don't you do something? And then he's like, I did, I created you. And, it's just a humbling way to think about it. Like, you know, we have a part in this, you know, that doesn't mean we can solve everything, but we're part of the, sol- like, we could be part of the solution or part of the the blessing, you know? And um, right, um yeah, I just think that's beautiful what you shared. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. I want to pivot a little bit. I know I- I'd love to like ask a million more questions about your adoption experience, but I also know that infertility was a part of your story too. And I know that at least from what I've read, you've tried IVF and then also struggled with secondary infertility. And now that you are out of that season and can look back on what you went through, how did God work in your life during that season? What have you learned about embracing the season you're in, even if it's not where you thought you would be?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, there were really two very pivotal moments in my life. And it was my time in Africa and my journey through infertility and, you know, all of that, the secondary Mm -hmm. infertility. And, it might seem to others like, well, gee, that's interesting. Those are the two things that you point out, but they were the Mm -hmm. two times that I felt myself, you know, questioning God's goodness. Mm -hmm. And for me, infertility, the secondary infertility was a very odd place to be because you feel as though you don't really belong anywhere because Mm -hmm. you already have children. Mm -hmm. So you don't really fit in with, the The women who have not yet been able to carry a child. Mm-hmm. So you can't say that I've never been able to experience this. Mm-hmm. You know, we had adopted children and it was kind of a sticky place to be in where I felt like I just didn't have a right to be upset or mm-hmm. to complain or any of that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting because when we think about, you know, suffering and what that really means and what it looks like, in our life, I think it's really tough because everybody's suffering mm-hmm. is theirs. Mm-hmm. It's unique to them and their story. There is no, you know, two stories that are exactly the same. Therefore, nobody can really understand the exact pain of another person in the way that they're experiencing it mm-hmm. uh, because it's a culmination of so many things in our lives that are leading up to these difficult journeys that we're going through. But... To me, what I learned in the infertility journey that was unique to any other situation that I've been through was about sort of, for a lack of a better term, the art of suffering and what it means, you know, to really find meaning in that pain and how... I mean, really like what separates us from the animals, uh, not, we're not going to talk about accessorizing, we're not quoting Steel Magnolias here, <laughs> but what separates us from the animals, you know, everybody suffers. Animals suffer, humans suffer, we all suffer, but humans are uniquely capable of finding meaning in their suffering, mm-hmm. whereas animals are not. Mm-hmm. And so I think that going through that, that suffering and, you know, in the struggles of infertility, which... To be honest, for women, I mean, people may think that using the word suffering is too strong, Mm -hmm. but for many women who feel as though this is what I was created Mm -hmm. to be able to do, Mm -hmm. not that this is the only thing that God created me for was to pop out babies, Mm -hmm. but that as a woman, God created me with the ability to carry and birth children, and Mm -hmm. it's not working. Mm -hmm. And there's an anger that comes with that. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, so I, I don't feel that. I don't feel that suffering is too strong of a word, especially when you dive deep into some women's stories of infertility. I mean, it mm-hmm. sure does sound a lot like suffering to me. Mm-hmm. But what I learned in coming through all of that, and or going mm-hmm. through all of that, and coming out the other side, was it made me a lot more uh, sensitive to pains of other people and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. It made me a lot more willing to make sacrifices for other people. It strengthened my relationship with God in the end because it was just a complete loss of control. Mm-hmm. And it's just like whenever I start to think that I've got it all together and I've got it all under control, I I can feel myself separating a little bit from God and I feel like my my walk with him isn't as close because sort of we start to be a little bit self-reliant like okay I got it I got Mm -hmm. this I got this I can do this again especially if you're really a motivated driven uh woman then you can start to be like it's okay I've got it all under control and then oh except for this one thing that I I cannot and so it kind of draws us at least for me like drew me back to him and you know forced me in many ways to kind of lean on him and say you know if not he is still good And that was the question of Africa. And that was the question of infertility for me is if not, Mm -hmm. if the answer is no, is he still good? Wow. And I had to find
1: that. Yeah. So powerful. Uh, Wow. I mean, it's true. And I think that's such a hard question to answer when you're in the midst of it, right? When you're in the thick of like witnessing the heartbreaking thing or experiencing the heartbreaking thing, it's like, God, where are you? Like, what are you doing? You know, this is so broken. And, I think, like you said, it's like it creates an enduring faith in a way. I mean, it says, like the Bible literally says suffering produces endurance, right? And so uh-huh. um, there's something to that, and I, and I think you're right on, on all of that. It's so true and so difficult to wrap our heads around, but there's so much refining, I think, that happens in experiences like that when there's things that are out of our control that are so painful or confusing or even seemingly backwards, you know, it's like, it can. I think there's a lot of times where something will happen in our life or one of these areas that feels like this should just work. Like what is happening? You know, I think it can create this feeling of like, why me, you know, or like, why them Um, or what? Like even the the nature of suffering or tragedy or hardship can seem so random in some ways, you know, like, especially like what you were saying about feeling like you didn't even have a place, like it kind of sounded like it came up in the least expected way, like you'd already had kids. It came up when you would think like, no, everything's fine. It's, it was fine before, you know, I'm sure that had a little bit of an unexpected, just like an unexpected twist to it, if you will. And I'm sure that made it kind of difficult and isolating in its own way.
2: It really did. Especially when we finally went to the infertility doctor, to the specialist, and she was like, I am looking at everything on paper and like, this just doesn't make sense. I don't know why you guys cannot get pregnant. I, mm. I don't know. But, you know, in having walked through that and and done IVF, uh, which, you know, I know is kind of a, a hotly contested mm-hmm. thing these days, but and having done that, you know, really prepared me to have this very unique understanding when it came to embryo adoption of how a woman would get to this place where she would have these extra embryos or you know it like it really softened my heart to something that I'm not sure I would have considered prior so when we talk about like the building blocks of Mm -hmm. your story and like God has to build this before he can build that and Mm -hmm. he's got to take you through this fire before he can ask you to to jump off this cliff and so for me that was very much it I had to go through the years of infertility and the IVF and the treatments and the shots and all Mm -hmm. of that to be at a place where I was willing to say yes to this other thing that he ultimately had for me, which was the embryo adoption mm-hmm. and what turned out to be our twins. Wow. So I, I don't know that I would have said yes to that, mm-hmm. you know, three years before. I think mm-hmm. I would have been like, eh, that's okay. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, you just don't, y- you just don't know if you're going to be ready until, until you go through all of the things that set you up for that, that question for yeah. that door to open and you to say, okay, I'm ready to go through it now.
1: Yeah. Wow, and that's so beautiful to so said that. I was going to ask I said I was going to ask because I knew that you had a twin pregnancy, but I was curious if that was on before your your journey with infertility or if that was afterwards or kind of where that all came to be. But you said that was your embryo adoption experience, correct? Yes.
2: Yeah, wow. that was that was the
1: embryo adoption experience. Wow. Wow. Did, now this is this may be like too personal a question so we can edit it out if you don't want to answer. It. But out of curiosity, was the was that like did you know that you were going to potentially ha- like that you were potentially gonna have twins or was it like oh this embryo split now we have twins
2: Oh yeah no those this is not too personal because I think this is hilarious so uh, in hindsight hilarious at the mm-hmm. moment not hilarious yeah. but like I said I'd had two really difficult pregnancies with hyperemesis so when we came to the decision to try to have another baby it was because we felt like there's been so many medical advancements uh, I'll be I'll be much better off this time mm-hmm. you know so that was what led us to go okay we can we can try to have another baby So then we go through all the infertility And nothing, I mean, like I said, I... I've ne- I've personally never experienced miscarriage. Mm-hmm. I just could not get pregnant, period. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I was getting pregnant and, and losing babies, so, mm-hmm. you know, so I needed more progesterone early mm-hmm. on or mm-hmm. any of these things. I just was not getting pregnant. And so when we did IVF, and I remember our doctor saying, you guys are young, you're healthy, you've had two kids before, we know there's not, you know, incompatible DNA and mm-hmm. all this stuff. This is, you know, this is going to work. You only need, you're only you only going to need to do it once because, mm-hmm. you know, they it will yeah. sometimes offer you a few rounds and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I went in super confident and, you know, once we got the call that like, well, so the embryos are not really, you know, nothing's really fertilizing, it's not really growing. Mm -hmm. And so by that transfer day, there was only two that were, I mean, I don't remember now in hindsight, but very so-so, not even Mm -hmm. what you would consider uh, the the stage to do a transfer. Mm -hmm. It was sort of a a Hail Mary, right? Mm -hmm. They were like, let's just put both of these in. And I did not get pregnant. So at that point, I was really starting to believe that like, it just was never going to happen. Mm -hmm. That perhaps in some ways, like it wasn't possible. So when we got to embryo adoption and we found out that basically these two embryos were frozen together in the same I don't know, tube, Mm -hmm. if this is the right Mm -hmm. terminology. So if they thaw them out, Mm -hmm. you have to put the, you know, implant them both. They don't thaw Mm -hmm. them and then refreeze them. That was their sort of clinic's policy. So, you know, at that point, I honestly was, I mean, I was a little bit, Mm, I don't want to say bitter is not really the right word, mm-hmm. but a little bit like, like cynical, indignant maybe? about the whole thing and cynical. Yes, yes. that's, that's yeah. a better word. Mm-hmm. Also indignant, but cynical. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and like, this is just not going to work. Right. So what does it right. matter? You could throw a whole football team of them up there and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. That was like my mentality going mm-hmm. into it. So you know, we agreed like, okay, we'll, we'll put both in and, you know, nothing will happen. I probably won't get pregnant even, you know, with one. Mm-hmm. So I was, I mean, I wasn't a moron. Like I understood that if you put two in, you mm-hmm. <laughs> two may come out. Mm-hmm. Also, if you put two in, four may come out, but
1: mm-hmm. that's not the point. Wow. Did not know that. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> well, I mean, if you put two embryos in and they both split, Oh right. you know, I don't think it's all that common, but right. I mean, you know, anything's mm-hmm. possible. Right. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it was possible, but I did I didn't think that it it was actually possible in my Mm. story, if Mm -hmm. you will. So I was still just shocked (laughs) when, when they said, oh yeah, there's, there's two babies in there. There are two babies in there. I was just like, um, what are you serious? So it was, it was a, it was a bit of a shocker, but not, not a, you know, not, not coming out of left field, you know, we knew it was a possibility, but I just didn't think it could actually happen.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of women can relate to that when you've been through kind of the gamut of everything and you've felt like you've exhausted all options or like, you know, I think a lot of women feel that way though. Like when just one thing after another feels like running into a brick wall or, you know, just like I've tried everything or X amount of time has passed. It's just, I think a lot of, it's very common to get cynical a little bit and think like, yeah, there's no way this is going to happen, you know, because my past experience has shown me, like, I think we, a lot of times, and I'm sure you can probably relate to this. It sounds like this is kind of what happened where your few, your expectation of the future is predetermined by your experience in the past. And when your experience in the past seems like, well, all I've experienced is that this doesn't work or that this goes wrong or whatever. It kind of can make, it does harden you. I think in a way like of our own self-protection a little bit, but there is that, like, I think it's very common to feel this Hardened like almost barrier that goes up, like, yeah, yeah, this isn't going to work, you know and um, it's just it's crazy how sometimes when we least expect it, the most amazing things happen. But it sounds like it was a pleasant surprise
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I mean, in, in the end, uh, you know I, I definitely wouldn't change anything, but it mm-hmm. was you know it was being pregnant with twins is, is at least for me, especially given my history of being so sick, was no cakewalk. There was a whole lot. Of journey in that as well that that god was taking me on but uh now you know looking back and as soon as they were born it was you know instantaneously like this is just such an incredible blessing and i can't believe that i could have missed this hmm. for, because of fear you know because of fear of what of what any of this meant mm-hmm. embryo adoption and ivf and and
1: mm-hmm. you know all of it mm-hmm. you know Yeah, it's so good. Such a good reminder because we can hold ourselves back from the most like incredible things out of fear. And so it's just encouraging to hear your story. Wow, I could like talk to you about these things forever because I think it's it's beautiful and encouraging to so many to know like there's so many paths to motherhood and there's so many different ways a family can be built and it's all incredible and it, it doesn't make it easy, but it's just... It's just, it opens our, our mind from that, like, like you said, checklist life, right? Like it has to be this way and this time and all of this. So I guess my last question or my last like point that I want to touch on is ultimately your experiences creating a family just about run through the gamut. I mean, experiencing pregnancy and infertility, trying IVF and, you know, embryo adoption and adopting domestically, adopting it. Wait, did you adopt domestically or was it just internationally? Uh, domestically too. yeah. Okay. Twice. So domestically <laughs> and internationally and adopting a newborn and older children and adopting a child, a special needs child and all the different things and being pregnant with both singles and multiples. Like, wow, like so much. And I would just be curious if you can share what has having had such a variety of experiences taught you about motherhood as a whole and the journey to motherhood.
2: I mean, I think when I look back on it for me, it's about, first of all, recognizing that there's no one direct path there it can happen in so many different ways and Mm. and we need women in the world who are willing to you know step out in faith to to these different avenues of of becoming mothers Mm. and that at the end of the day it's all beautiful in its own way and they all still pee in your bed at night and they all still, whether you birth them or adopt them or whatever else, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, it's such a journey that's going to be uniquely your own. Mm -hmm. And it was uniquely my own. And, you know, I joke around that it's sort of like a bingo card, right? But, Mm -hmm. you know, I am so grateful that God has given me this picture of all of these different ways that you can grow a family in all of these different Mm -hmm. ways that you are a mother. And for me, you know, I spent a lot of time when I was younger being one of those women who was like, I don't even like kids. I don't know if I want kids. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a this or that. Mm -hmm. And feeling like somehow some of that narrative of being just a mom Mm -hmm. really seeped in. Mm -hmm. And I, I questioned whether or not that was ever going to be enough for me or, uh, whether I would really feel as though it was my highest calling mm-hmm. and all of these things that we hear a lot of Christian women talk about. Mm-hmm. But I can say in now at my age at 37, <laughs> looking back and having eight children and I'm with my children all the time. I work from home. I homeschool them. I'm with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's come with age and, you know, with age comes a little bit of wisdom, hopefully. Uh, but they are, are my greatest accomplishment mm. they are my legacy they are the thing that i am the most proud of in my life is my children mm. and cultivating their hearts and making sacrifices in other areas of my life for them is is really uh, it doesn't always feel like it every day that it's this joy because, you know, my husband and I were just having this conversation yesterday that raising children is really this thing that you are sowing these seeds every day you're just planting these little seeds and you don't really get to see the fruits of those for a long time mm-hmm. it is a thankless job it mm-hmm. is you know nobody's telling you mom you know you did a really well you won't have a kid who's like this but for the mm-hmm. most part kids mm-hmm. are not being like you know I know I was a pain in the butt today but mm-hmm. you did a great job so mm-hmm. thank you mm-hmm. like they're not doing that you have to find that you know for yourself that fulfillment in your role, but for me, and you know, I have a 15 year old who just turned 15 down to a two year old. Mm. And now in that, having that hindsight and that wisdom to be able to look back and see how God really uses the everyday, what I call the holy mundane of life to, to refine me. And that if I had to give away everything else, job, career wise, whatever, to be a mom, I would do it in a heartbeat. And I say
1: that as somebody who never thought I would say that. Mm, Yeah. Wow. That's so beautiful. So encouraging and powerful in all the words. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your story so honestly. And so transparency or transparently words are hard. I mean, really, I think it's going to be such an encouragement to so many in various different places in their motherhood journey, whether they're walking through secondary infertility or have two kids and considering adoption or at the very beginning of their journey or have experienced loss or, you know, any number of things. I think you have such a uh, multifaceted view of the of the beauty and the way that God can weave together a family and your perspective on motherhood and the the gift that it really is and you know how it shifts our perspective on what you know, the things that maybe we thought it would be or won't be. It's just encouraging and beautiful in so many ways. And I just really am thankful for everything that you've shared and opened up about and written about. I would love if you can just one last thing, if you can share where everyone can learn more from you or follow your story or just be encouraged by your beautiful family.
2: Sure. So, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It really was my pleasure and an honor for me to to be a guest on your podcast Mm -hmm. as someone who loves you dearly. It's such an honor Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And I one last thing, I just want to add because my fear is always that women will hear me talk about this and all of these different things and feel walk away feeling like, oh my gosh, all right, that sounds crazy. I don't want any part of that. (laughs) But I just the one line that I always remember and I keep in the back of my mind is that you don't get those incredible mountain views without the valley floor. Mm. And so God may have you on the valley floor, but you will get to the to the top of mm. that mountain and the views from there are spectacular and it's absolutely worth it. So mm. Before I get emotional, i must say that. But then if you want to find me anywhere else, you can find me this gathered nest on YouTube as well as Angela Branish, this gathered nest on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the only, I'm too old for
1: TikTok and all that. So I <laughs> hang out on Instagram and YouTube. Awesome, I love it. Well, I am so thankful for your time. You've blessed us so much. And just thank you for being here. Thank you. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content and it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit JordanLeedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for
0: anything less.